Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hello and welcome back to We Made a Beer. My name's Louise. I'm Lucy. And this is We Made a Beer, the podcast in which we, two beer novices, find out about beer by brewing it, drinking it and chatting to the experts about it. This is the final episode in this season and we have two fantastic guests lined up. We want to explore breweries that are not only brewing exceptional beer, but are using their reputation to influence beer culture and its place in society. From hosting fantastic events that bring beer and gastronomy together, to brewing politically charged beers and setting up charitable foundations. These breweries are working their asses off to get great beer into the hands of more people. In this episode, we chat to Garrett Oliver, brewmaster at Brooklyn Brewery. I think people think of us as like the Brooklyn lager guys, but we make about 30 other beers every year. So being here is a great opportunity for people to get to know us a bit better and kind of to understand us as a brewery rather than just as one or two beers because we're not one or two beers. Head of Task Force Sarah Warman tells us how the Brewdog brand extends beyond the beer. It was intended as a protest beer against the anti-LGBT sort of environment around the Sochi Olympics Um, and we put hashtag not for gays on the label and obviously that did drive a lot of people crazy because they were like you can't put not for gays on stuff and we were like exactly go and read this blog post about why this beer is important. We design and brew a beer to enhance our dinner. This microphone will not recover. It's covered in beer, it's covered in noodles. (laughs) We've been making the series alongside the lovely folks at You Brew London, an open brewery where you brew the beer. Last week we brewed up an imperial stout infused with sherry oak chips. Here's what happened when we tasted it. Oh! Mmm! <laughs> smells good, huh? I like it because it just reminds me of sherry, which is kind of oozy. Can we yeah. cheers with this one because it's so I think delightful? It's rude that we didn't do it earlier, isn't it? <laughs> so, another season two success. Over the course of recording this podcast, we've been to some fantastic beery events. Most recently, we went to Brooklyn Beer Mansion, hosted by brewmaster Garrett Oliver, who's known for his incredible ability to pair beer with food. A pairing of chicken skins with an amazing saison got us really excited. As separate items, they were both great, but the two together was such a fantastic combination. Our brewing mentor, Tash, recently launched an event called Barrel Kitchen, a supper club with a difference, where beers are specially brewed to accompany each course. This concept really fascinated us, and we wanted to have a go at doing something along the same lines. Now, Yubu don't serve food, but they are conveniently placed next door to a great ramen bar. Bone Daddy's in Bermondsey is a production and development kitchen, offering punters a taste of both their long-standing favourites, as well as exciting new dishes. We headed back to Yubu for our final tasting session with Tash, this time with a little twist. We said that the last tasting session would have a difference. Here is the difference. You might be looking at this and thinking that beer looks a lot like a bowl of noodles. <laughs> That's because this is a bowl of noodles. So we went for the, we just referenced the menu. Tantan men number three, which has got sesame chili carrot RJ tofu, which is a deep fat fried tofu, thus the only one that anyone should ever eat. Um, <laughs> and it's also got bok choy thyme and a Clarence Court egg in there. Ooh. And it's all in a mushroom broth. So dig in. <laughs> it's, it's really spicy. 
it's good I can feel it in my nose and brain <laughs> so it's got a bit of a kick to it hasn't it it's got some spice so what sort of a beer would work well with the spice do we want something that'll sort of exacerbate the spice or something that will tame it do you want to exacerbate the spice <laughs> for me i'm finding it quite hard yeah no I, i'm enjoying it it's it's really good i think we need something to, to cut through the spice um quite dry maybe quite boozy yes okay. does booze not make it hotter the spices not fire each other up yeah so we won't we're not going to go you know imperial stout kind of deal but um just something that's dry and boozy because it's quite rich as well so we want to cut yeah. through that a little bit you know with the egg and the tofu um maybe something kind of savory so we don't want a really sweet beer mm-hmm. tell me about this tantanman do you like it lucy i really like it it's very um it's quite moorish quite rich it's spicy but you can get that mushroomy savory kind of thing I'm looking forward to seeing your chopstick skills. I sort of judge people based on their chopstick skills. All I can say is that it's nice that this is not television. (laughs) (laughs) Let's all huddle around the noodles. (laughs) This microphone will not recover. It's covered in beer, it's covered in noodles. Yeah, it's good. So this is a dish that they do just next door to you brew and we thought it'd be nice to sort of try and brew a beer that people could have alongside it and that would sort of improve or enhance or complement the flavours of the dish. Very much is something that we've never done before. I know you've done it before with Barrel Kitchen. Mm -hmm. So where do you sort of go about starting to think about pairing a beer with this? Um, So there are a few ways of pairing beer with food in the same way there's a few ways of pairing wine with food. I think probably what we want to do with this dish is mostly contrast. So we're going to um, yeah, try and try and cut through those rich, spicy flavours um, so they work nicely together with a bit of balance. Yeah, it's really rich. It's like the kind of very deep, savoury, umami mm-hmm. kind of taste. It'd be nice to have something a little bit on the kind of fresher side to cut through that and to soften the spice. Yeah, absolutely. So um, quite a common pairing with food are saisons. Um, so they are quite light, spicy, quite savoury. Um, you get a bit of fruit, maybe a bit of kind of lime zest flavour. So we could do like a sessionable saison. Aren't saisons like quite delicate though normally? They are, yeah, they are. They're, they're quite floral and refreshing. So it might be that it doesn't stand up to, to the richness. Or it could be that it, that it complements it. So something to think about. We could go kind of a, a Belgian golden ale so something that's dry maybe with a bit of kind of fruit or spice not necessarily hot spice but something that's going to be light effervescent and then uh, i suppose another option might be a, a more rich beer that works with the richness so maybe something a bit maltier a bit darker a, a double or, or um something that gives us a bit of kind of dark fruit and rich spice but perhaps that's gonna be a little overwhelming if you've got a thick you know viscous broth and then also quite a heavy um multi beer yeah i think with the richness with the the double um might be a bit too much i think it's like richness and richness together might be a bit too much but if there's one that is going to maybe um, refresh the palate a little bit out of the out of the saison or the the golden ale uh, we did a saison last season though it might be nice to do something a bit different sounds good yeah i mean belgian beer they're great beers we know that but i think the belgian golden ale is actually a relatively new style in the history of belgian brewing maybe about 100 years old but it's uh usually about seven to eight percent so there'll be a little bit of booze but not so much that it's gonna overdo it to drink with food we could perhaps think about jazzing it up a little bit because it's quite it's fairly simple style um so it should be clean fairly dry so not quite as much sweetness as uh, you might get in a another stronger belgian ale not going to get much multi-flavor be quite quite refreshing 
so maybe we want to look at some citrus fruit which would along with the the light body would really cut through that spice yeah citrus fruit sounds like a nice little addition to it maybe Uh, what kind of citrus fruit orange is the obvious um the obvious answer which would probably be my first suggestion Mm -hmm. um What's your bog-standard, average um, Belgian golden ale recipe going to consist of? So it's going to be pretty much entirely Pilsen malt. Um, we probably use a little bit of Carapils, which is a slightly caramelised Pilsen malt, just for a, a little bit of head retention, a little bit of body. That's probably going to be it for the malt base. It is a very light beer, light in colour, light in body. And then you can use traditional noble European hops. Um, we'll use a bit of Sards, and we might use some Goldings hops as well, which are a British hop. They're all going to be quite low alpha acids, and we want kind of floral, piney flavours, nothing too bitter, nothing too aggressive. Um, and then we will we'll use a uh, Belgian ale yeast which will give us a little bit of a yeasty flavour still quite clean will ferment quite dry and then whatever we decide to add on top of that but a pretty yeah pretty simple recipe for it simple classic clean style and the ideal outcome of this is that we brew a beer that doesn't overshadow this noodles that also doesn't get lost when you're having it alongside it but they just sort of gel together right yeah and I think that's why we you know go for slightly higher ABV so it's you know it's got something to to stand up to because yeah we don't want it to disappear alongside that really rich broth are you sad that this is our last (laughs) tasting what are we never going to see each other again after this this? (laughs) well you know it's the last time a microphone will be thrust into your face (laughs) that's cool as long as we can keep drinking beers you don't need to record me although like if every now and then you want to humour me me. <laughs> you don't even need to turn the microphone on. You just gotta have it near me. <laughs> well, we have absolutely no idea how that pairing is going to turn out, but we're super excited to give it a try. One thing's for sure, though, it's not going to be a patch on any of those our next guest brews. Garrett Oliver is renowned in the industry for being an exceptional brewer, beer writer, and food and beer pairing expert. We met up with him just before the opening of Brooklyn Beer Mansion, the fantastic and super unique beer festival we mentioned earlier in the episode. We asked him how his career in beer began. Well, first of all, I am 800 years old. (laughs) I have always been here. Uh, I actually ran a place in Good Street here in London called University of London Union in the early 80s. So I'll put it to you this way. I once put on a concert with R.E.M. as the opening band for The Beat. (laughs) Yeah, I've taken the Ramones bowling, you know, all kinds of stuff. I lived here and I fell in love with cask beer. And so that was kind of the way that I got the bug, so to speak. Moved back to to New York. They said Bud, Bud Light, Miller, Miller Light, Coors, Coors Light, Miller, Heineken, you know. And so that was all we had back then. So I started making beer at home, not because I was interested in making beer, but in order to have some beer. It was the only way to get beer that I wanted. I love how cool you are. <laughs> Just name drop the Ramones. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you know, if you're going to be old, you might as well use what you've got to work with. You know, they, you don't, don't really have that much choice. But, you know, so there's always a part of me that looks to music and looks to film as part of kind of what Brooklyn Brewery is all about. And, you know, it's funny for me to come here and I think people think of us as like the Brooklyn lager guys, which is great. We love Brooklyn lager and we drink it every day and it's in every refrigerator in New York City, which it should be. But we make about 30 other beers every year. You know, we have a huge barrel aging program. We have 2000 oak barrels at the brewery. So being here is a great opportunity for people to get to know us a bit better and kind of to understand us as a brewery rather than just as one or two beers, because we're not one or two beers. 
So um, you've been to the UK, you've gone back home, you start in Bruin at home. How do you get involved in Brooklyn? Uh, I actually knew the guys who started Brooklyn Brewery back when we were all home brewers uh, in the mid-80s. At the same time, I went to work for a place called Manhattan Brewing Company in 1989 and then moved to, uh, to Brooklyn Brewery at the end of 94. And what's it like brewing there now as opposed to brewing in 1994? Uh, I mean, it's a completely different world. The, the range of things that are available to us, the ingredients that you can get, but more than that, just having a population who understands already most of what you're talking about. So it used to be when you talked about IPA, you kind of described you know where IPA came from and whatever else. Now IPA is like everyday, everywhere beer. And even some styles that used to be obscure are becoming like that. Take Saison's, for example. You know, we've been brewing Saison's since 1997, 1998, you know, 20 years. But really, only a few years ago did it kind of get to the point where when you talk to people about Saison's, like, a lot of people knew what you were talking about. And so you now see lots of good restaurants with serious beer lists. And what 10 years ago would have been a beer bar is now a regular bar. So I guess in volume-wise as well, it's really increased from when you first started. Um, how do you think Brooklyn managed to just build a brand and get it out there so well? Well, I think that it was, you know, it, it was mostly concentrating on doing the stuff we were doing well. You know, we've always concentrated a lot on overall quality. What does the beer taste like? And does it taste like that all the time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. Frankly, the big brewers used to be better at that than we were. And now I think it's the opposite. Uh, But also, I think that we never pretended to be anything that we weren't. You know, we go out and we act like ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when you see, when you come to like something like Beer Mansion, it looks and feels like Brooklyn. That's kind of like our style, our personal thing. It's like, this is what we do. If you read a lot of the stuff that's on labels or whatever else, I mean, I wrote most of that myself. Again, it wasn't like we sent it out to an advertising firm or something to write it. So I think it feels like us because it actually is us, and I think that's important. We do get out there a lot. We talk to people. I've done literally a thousand beer dinners, you know, and tastings. And but yeah, I think that uh, we're a much more interesting brewery than we used to be. We couldn't achieve the kinds of beers that we're doing now 10 years ago. We are a bigger brewery than we were 10 years ago, but we're also much more craft. We do much more handwork. So because you mentioned beer dinners, I know that um, food and beer pairing is a real passion of yours. What makes you so passionate about it? Well, I think that you have two great things in front of you every day. Everybody eats dinner every day, and you're going to either have a soft drink or you're going to have wine or you're going to have beer. With beer, you have a range of possibilities of flavor that wine can't even think about offering. Um, I mean, I love wine and I know a lot about it, but it has one ingredient. You know, we can do things that are smoked, things that are roasted, things that are caramelized. I can add ginger to something. Beer can taste like pretty much anything. And when it comes to food pairing, you can't possibly do as well, you know, as we can. So given that beer is relatively affordable, there's a great opportunity to do really cool stuff at the dinner table every day, forever. You know, and to me, if you learn about craft beer that way, it's almost like you fall in love with jazz or something. Mm-hmm. 
and now you have jazz for the rest of your life, which is amazing. You know, you kind of, all you have to do is get a, a little bit of knowledge about something, and for almost nothing, you can enjoy it every day, and it makes your life better. I mean, if you think about it, what's better than that? I mean, it's kind of like the best thing going. And are there basic rules you can follow when you're trying to do um, food and beer pairings? Yeah, I mean, there are some basic things. I mean, uh, you know, I look first to line the overall weights of the beer and the food up, you know, which is pretty simple. You don't want to overwhelm one thing with the other and, like, wipe it off the map. But then I start looking for what is it about the beer and the food that will link together. Do they both have strong citrus notes? Do they both have strong caramelized notes? And then the best pairings are when you have some things in the pairing that are contrasting and some things that are harmony. So wine is really good at the contrast part. You know, you have acid, you have tannins, you have fruit, and say you have a piece of meat and there you have salt and, and caramelization happening there, and you have fruit and you have, you know, acid on the other side. Well, when we can come with both the caramelization on one hand doing the harmony and then, say, acid or bitterness on the other side doing the contrast, you get something which is a lot deeper. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you see in terms of the UK and the USA and like how the beer industries and trends kind of align. I think that things have speeded up a lot. I think that we are further ahead along the evolution of, of, of a lot of these things. You know, sour beers are starting to make genuine inroads and getting out of just the geek range. You know, you and I are drinking them, but that's not the actual universe that most people live in. But it's starting to be the actual universe people live in in the States. So, you know, hundreds of brew pubs making Berliner Weiss and, you know, and, and kettle sours, etc. And that being a main seller's. The trend towards Brett and Funk is just kind of getting started here. I'd say the last three, four years, you started to see, you know, guys like Wild Beer Company doing it. And now within only a couple of years, you have people like Burning Sky doing, you know, cool ship projects and whatever else. This is something that's been happening in the States for 15 or 20 years and is now just really starting to get a grounding in here. I think that that will also represent part of what things are here in the future. You know, people forget that Britannomyces means the British yeast. Oh, really? Yeah, Britanno and Britannomyces is Britain. So people tend to think that, like, somehow Britannomyces is Belgium. But in fact, back in the 1800s and 1700s, it was considered so British they named the yeast after it. <laughs> so as everybody gets into what is real British food, what is real British cheese? Look at what all the chefs are into. But then on the drink side, it's all wine. And I'm kind of like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're all talking about localism and, you know, rah, 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 our local whatever. Here are our producers, our local farm and whatever else. You know, our drinks are from France. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, I hope that more and more brewers do think along the lines of, yes, you know, you got to have beers that you're going to drink on an everyday basis that you're going to have at the football game and whatever. But at the same time, why should you not be in the great restaurants, at the great tables, because we can do that too. So can you tell us a bit about what's happening tonight, Beer Mansion? Well, Beer Mansion is a bit more about kind of just the overall personality of the brewery. You know, like, what do we do? What do we like to do? So we get a chance to show off some of the other beers. And in a way, Beer Mansion, which, you know, I was here for last year, it really takes me back because it reminds me, frankly, of a rave. I mean, it's like, <laughs> no, but it's like you take over an abandoned building 
and you just do some you do some stuff in there, you know, and it, it feels vaguely illegal, you know, uh, but it's cool. It kind of has that feel to it with different things happening in every room. That that whole complex is a low slung set of buildings that are all connected. They're not open to the public on a regular basis, and they have this really gritty industrial feel that feels just like going to the brewery. I mean, Brooklyn Brewery is in a building like you know the uh, uh, the buildings that you'll see there tonight. Even when I first got there, I feel like instantly at home. It's like, oh yeah, I know this place. This is like mm-hmm. this is like where I grew up and where I hang out. Mm-hmm. And then we just put all our stuff in there. So it's almost like uh, an evening in in Brooklyn that happens to be in London. Uh, bands, music, different tastings in different rooms, people playing games in different rooms, food, cooking demos. Uh, if the weather holds, there'll be some hanging out outside. There'll be, you know, probably a couple of dozen different uh, Brooklyn beers to taste. I'll be leading a couple of tastings through some of our, you know, more obscure stuff, you know, including some beers that we don't even sell to the public. You know, what we call ghost bottles, which are the 70 plus things that we make that we don't even sell. Not usually because we don't like them, but they have natural limits. You know, maybe I get you know, five liters of lees from some wine producer. And from that, I can make two oak barrels worth of beer, and that's going to be 30 cases. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not going to sell 30 cases, even if they're really, really tasty. Mm-hmm. So we just drink them. <laughs> so all this cool, fun stuff. I mean, earlier you said a lot of people just associate Brooklyn with Brooklyn Lager, which is great, but you don't just do that. So where can people go to sort of really experience this range? Well, I mean, you know, Bear Mansion tonight is going to be a great opportunity, but, you know, I'm hopeful you're going to see more and more things from the brewery. Um, you know, I think that we're lucky in a way, slash skillful, whatever, that we have a foundational beer that we can, it's kind of the sun in the middle of our universe, and then there are planets going around that sun, and there are moons going around the planets. And I kind of think of our beers, you know, like that. And Brooklyn Lager is the sun, but there's kind of a whole bunch of other stuff going on. So I think, for example, Sriracha Ace is a, is a really unique tasting beer. I still haven't really had beers that taste like it. People really like it at home. I really like it. It'd be great to see, you know, Sriracha Ace broadly available here. You know, I'm on your podcast campaigning for more of our beers to, uh, you know, to be represented. How important is it for you guys to not just offer beer, though, to offer things like Beer Mansion and to really get, like, your drinkers involved in the whole culture of it? Well, I think, you know, part the, the, the craft beer culture is something that we and others built. So we were the first brewery in the world, for example, to do collaborations. But, I mean, things like that are things that we built, these kinds of events like Beer Mansion and what we do at home. So we think that when people come and they, you know, drink our beer... I think that they do want to know like who you are because increasingly it's kind of hard to tell. You have some breweries that are being bought up or they're being started, you know, for different reasons. Maybe somebody, you know, is like a finance guy and he's going to start a brewery. And I'm not hating on that. You know, it's like if you're a finance guy and you want to start a brewery, good for you. But, you know, we're we're beer people and we want people to see us and meet us and know that we're beer people. You know, it's not a marketing team. When you taste Brooklyn beers, you like them or you don't like them, but that's me. Mm -hmm. You can't say that about a non-craft brewery, and you know it when you see it. People kind of drink our beers, then it's like they like these ones, they don't like those ones, but that's called taste. 
I'm the only guy who likes all of our beers. <laughs> you know, I don't expect you to like all 30 of them. If you, you know, if I make 30 beers and you like 23 of them and you're not sure about four and you hate three more, I'm kind of like, that's pretty good. Like, I'll tell you, like, I'll like, I'll take it, yeah. you know? And so I think we are more and more that, you know, every day. And it's kind of part of my job to keep us that way. Garrett was such a fantastic guest. And Brooklyn Beer Mansion was the best beer festival we've ever been to. Do keep a lookout for the next one. We also had the pleasure of attending Garrett's Ghost Bottle Tasting. A particular favourite was a late bottle vintage of a beer called Brooklyn Black Ops. This beer was aged in a barrel for four years and had then spent six years in the bottle. Because of the volume they produced, it's a really rare beer and it was an absolute treat for us to taste it. After the break, we meet up with Brewdog Sarah Warman in their Clerkenwell bar to talk about the beers and the brand. We Made a Beer is brought to you by, well, just us actually. It's produced, presented and funded by our good selves. This season though, we're working alongside Honest Brew, our favourite online beer service, to make the beers we talk about in this show more accessible to you. We use Honest Brew to get brewery fresh craft beer delivered directly to our door, so we've always got some tasty drinks chilling in the fridge. We've partnered with Honest Brew for a limited time to offer you a fantastic mix case. The We Made a Beer case contains 12 great beers that have been either brewed or recommended to us by Season 2's podcast guests or that have just inspired this series. And if that wasn't enough of a treat, we can get you a whopping £10 off your first order using the coupon code WEMADEABEER. Use it to get the We Made a Beer case or to just expand your beer tasting horizons. To recap... Go to honestbrew.co.uk, spend over £30 and use the code WEMADEABEER at checkout for £10 off. Check out the episode description in your podcast player for the full T's and C's. Happy drinking! Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Like many people in the UK, the first craft brewery that really caught our eye was Brewdog. Their punk ethos and no-fucks attitude with their marketing meant that their brand was suddenly everywhere. They were available to buy all over the place, from big supermarkets to tiny little middle-of-nowhere pubs. The speed at which Brewdog continues to grow is insane. To learn more about how the company came to be what it is now, we met up with their head of task force, Sarah Warman, for a late afternoon drink at Brewdog Clerkenwell. Turns out there's literally never a quiet moment in a Brewdog bar, so we all huddle together in a cupboard under the stairs for a rather intimate chat. We wanted to know how Brewdog managed to grow so quickly. 
the founders of the company can take credit for a huge amount of the growth of the company. So James and Martin set out on a mission to make other people as passionate about great craft beer as they were. That's still the mission for the whole company today. So Martin's still the head of the production side of the business and he makes the beers that he likes. Um, and luckily everyone else seems to like them too. So it seems to be working out quite well. But in terms of sort of the, the growth of the company, we've now been one of the UK's fastest growing private companies for five years running on the Sunday Times Fast Track 100. So the equity for punk scheme is something that I uh, accidentally became part of one sort of drunken afternoon about a year ago. And it's like a really cool, innovative way of getting all your fans involved with the business. For anyone who doesn't know what it is, could you maybe just give a quick introduction to it? Yeah, sure. So um, Equity for Punk started in 2009 and this was our opportunity to turn our backs on the traditional banking model and actually look to the people who drink our beer to become the founders of our next wave of growth. So Equity for Punks is kind of an alternative business model. We reinvest all of the profits of the business into the company and we did recently give um, shareholders an opportunity to cash out a percentage of their shares and people who'd invested from 2009 actually saw a 2,800% return. So... (laughs) It's actually something that people are seeing a return on, but there's also the benefits like discounts in our bars, discounts in our online shop. So yeah, there's a huge amount of benefits to becoming a shareholder in BrewDog and that community, which is now 55,000 strong. They are our greatest advocates, but also our harshest critics. And we're always listening to what they're saying. And I think you get a lot more involvement from them than you would do from a traditional business model because they've got a much more sort of balanced view in terms of what actually is going to make a real world impact for us as a company. Um, as well as as a brewer. To me, I look at the all the branding around Equity for Punks and the invites that you give to people, and it does seem cool. It doesn't seem like boring finance. Why is that? <laughs> I think, yeah, we've, we've kind of always looked at the fact that these are beer geeks. They're our brethren. Like, they are the people who are just like us. So we kind of, we always put ourselves in their shoes when we're looking at building out Equity for Punks raises and we're thinking about what they would want from it. And we always try to declutter the message around it. So, you know, you do own a part of our company and you could make a financial return, but also we know that you really care about beer so we're going to give you discounts in our bars and we're going to give you all these other cool things and not just focusing on here's our balance sheet and there's the profit and loss account for the past five years you know they're legal requirements but we're not putting them at the forefront we're talking about the actual beery exciting things rather than just the financial stuff so we know from doing this podcast that beer geeks are very passionate and uh, opinionated about their beer. Um, so does it make, you know, with, all those, uh, with all those equity punks, does it make business decisions a little bit harder or does it make it quite exciting for you guys? It makes them better. So it might make them harder in the long run in terms of making sure that we have the right set of people involved with those decisions, but it makes those decisions better and we fail less as a result because we're involving more people who would ultimately be giving us their opinion once we did something anyway. So rather than waiting until we do something and then seeing what everyone thinks, we get their involvement from the start and then we already know that, that we've got their, their backing. So we, we've just launched something called Dog Tank where um, without sounding really wanky, it's like an incubator for ideas so that does sound wanky <laughs> we don't we don't write that on there just blame me for that but it's basically asking our community what we should do next so we've given them the opportunity to come up with the ideas and we've had about 500 responses so far so they're very hard to nail down into a short list but they're a really engaged community and they really want to see things happen so they're really valuable to have um, involved at every step of, of every decision 
So you've got 55,000 equity punks. Um, how do you go about keeping them really interested? Like, particularly in a scene where there's loads of craft breweries opening all the time, how do you make sure that they are still glad that they've still got their money in this company? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point because in an industry that is growing so fast, it's really important to make sure that Brewdog is still fresh and relevant in that scene. Um, and I think the way that we're doing that is we're really focusing on on quality primarily so making sure that the beer that we're producing is widely available and is always as fresh and as high quality as possible and I think just the scale of Brewdog means that you know Punk IPA is, is the UK's number one craft beer in supermarkets so being able to say that we are investing heavily in, in the, the sort of the technology and the supply chain which sounds dull but it does result in amazing craft beer for more people is a really important thing for shareholders so I mean even like the sour beer facility that we're, we're making in Ellen creating amazing sour beers being able to do that on a scale is quite a challenge but also quite an exciting one um, and then we get them involved as well so we did homebrew dog last year where we invited shareholders and the public to make a beer send it to us and then um, the best one got a listing in Tesco as well as in all of our bars which was really exciting and also DIY dog so that's when we released um, the recipes for all of our beers to the public but in homebrew proportions so you know there's different types of craft beer fans there's like the diehard homebrew aficionado who will only drink in a railway arch and that's fine and we will cater for that as well but then there's the people who you know they just kind of want a punk in a, at a barbecue on the weekend and that's as, that's as far as their craft beer experience goes and they're happy with that so just making sure that we're not becoming niche and we're not alienating anyone or becoming snobs about it like craft beer is inclusive and it shouldn't it shouldn't be sort of alienating for anyone just based on where they where they live or um what their friends drink or anything else like that so just making sure that everyone can get involved is a really important part of it so because you mentioned um, the supermarkets, I wondered, do you get those people who like, you know, when someone finds like a little indie music band and they're like, these guys are great. And then they get really big. So their friend at work knows about them. And then they're like, nah, those guys are mainstream. They've sold out. Yeah. Does that happen a lot with Brewdog beers? 100%, yeah. And it's the most frustrating thing because, so say like someone who lives in a small town in the countryside where it's not viable for someone to start a bottle shop. So that's never going to happen. For that person to be able to get hold of good craft beer in their local supermarket is one of the most exciting things in the craft beer scene in the UK at the moment. Admittedly, there's a lot of other great, exciting things, but to be able to go to Tesco and buy Pinner from Oscar Blues or buy some Sierra Nevada beer that is decent and fresh, buy Elvis juice buy all of these amazing craft beers in a supermarket is insanely exciting for someone who can't who doesn't have the access to a craft brewery and i think it's generally the people who are spoiled who will say that like the people who live in london or the people who live in manchester or leeds where there there is an amazingly exciting craft beer scene it's very easy for them to say oh well you've sold out because you're in supermarkets now but it's like you're not looking at the wider picture which is actually fucking massive <laughs> like in context craft beer being available in supermarkets is a massive deal and that should that shouldn't be sniffed at and actually it's a huge step for supermarkets to actually take that as well so yeah for me it's really really exciting and i love being able to pick up a six pack of dead pony club on my way home do you think that attitude will change like we went to um california recently and even like tiny little corner shops had a massive selection of small-scale breweries you're right in america you just go into a gas station and there's fridges 
fridges and fridges and fridges of amazing craft beer and people often drink local as well because there's so much choice that they kind of default to whatever's the most local stuff um, and I think in the UK we'll probably go in the same direction as well where corner shops um, supermarkets everywhere will sell craft beer and it will become the norm and that's really exciting and we will get to that point and people will sort of reminisce on all of these good old days when <laughs> I, uh, I was the only one to know about craft beer and you know enjoy it while it lasts but that's not going to be the case forever and that's a good thing for the industry and the craft brewers who are piggybacking and they're just in it for the bandwagon they're going to fall by the wayside because they won't be producing quality beer that will reduce the amount of noise from the industry and what will be left is amazing craft beer for everyone that is widely available or is really niche but is really good quality and has a local following so meanwhile um, punk in lots of supermarkets and get our hands on that that also gives you guys the opportunity to um, make some really interesting marketing campaigns around maybe a slightly more niche stuff and one of the ones that we really really enjoyed um, in terms of making bold statements was the hello my name is Vladimir beer um, and it's quite hard to imagine any other brewery doing something uh, like that so just from your perspective really in terms of your job what is it like working the marketing side of the a company like BrewDog fucking terrifying and I wouldn't have it any other way so the morning that we launched Hello My Name is Vladimir was possibly the most nervous I've ever been in my life that's a really really difficult message to land but it was a really important one as well so Hello My Name is Vladimir um, was um, a double IPA infused with um, a type of berry that is local to Russia and um, it, it was intended as a, a protest beer against the anti-LGBT sort of environment around the Sochi Olympics so we had a kind of an Andy Warhol-esque lipstick clad Vladimir Putin on the label <laughs> which is now banned apparently like you can't do that anymore whereas at the time what you specifically can't put lipstick on Vladimir Putin anymore? <laughs> apparently not maybe he's allergic or something I don't know but um, um, so the beer was intended to raise a bit of awareness about what was happening in Russia um, and we put hashtag not for gays on the label as a bit of a um, you know something that was intended as, as something to start a bit of conversation and obviously that did drive a lot of people crazy because they were like you can't put not for gays on stuff and we were like exactly go and read this blog post about why this beer is important so I was involved in the whole process from the beginning and that was a really exciting part of it I think it's important that you know that's not something that's just top down so it's not something that I was kind of dictated to it wasn't something I was faced with a challenge and I've just had to go and do it it was something that I was a part of and you know it was uncomfortable because it was really fucking scary to be saying hashtag not for gays and hoping that people understood what we were trying to get at um, and then we donated the profits to charities that support marginalised communities as well and we've tried to do that a few times since in terms of making sure that we have some sort of corporate social responsibility with want of a better word but making sure that we're doing things that mean something to someone and being able to link that to beer which is like I say so inclusive we're in such a strong position to do something about things so why don't we make the best of that opportunity so we also um, partner with a charity in Scotland that helps build wells in Africa so um, there's actually an Ellen well and Ellen is obviously where the brewery is in, in Aberdeenshire that has been funded by sales of brew gooder beer which we, we basically brew it for free um, for the brew gooder charity so that's a really exciting thing for us as well and it's not something we actively promote but it's something we get involved with because it's an important part for us yeah we still have that punk ethos and mentality behind us and part of that is making sure that we're defending the right people so we said that's our favorite brew dog moment obviously you guys do loads of crazy stunts have you got a particular favorite one um in terms of 
dunty things, I think that the world's smallest protest was really clever. So in terms of the weights and measures in the UK, there was a time where you couldn't serve two thirds of a pint or a schooner. Um, so Brewdog held the world's smallest protest with a dwarf outside um, the Houses of Parliament holding a placard saying small for all. And we obviously accompanied that with all of the right sort of letters and everything to MPs. Um, and we actually got the law changed. And now the schooner is one of our most popular serves in our bars because that's an important measure for a lot of beers kind of between the 7 and 10% range. So I really like that one just because it was a really nice embodiment of the message that we were trying to put across and it was easy to understand and, you know, people kind of got involved with it. Um, in terms of projects that we've done, I really like Mashtag which is where we hand the keys to the brewery over to our social media followers and over the course of five days they choose a beer so on the first day they choose the style on the second day they choose the malt bill and the strength the third day they choose the hops and the bitterness and then they choose a special twist and then they design the label and I think that's a really cool way to actually get people involved because it means that we can educate on what the malt bill actually means and how strength and colour comes into beer like fusing entertainment with education for beer is a is something that I think is you know a really important part and if you're not doing that as a brewery then you're probably becoming quite sort of elitist and making sure that you're actually making it easy to understand is I think something that's quite important for most craft breweries. How important is it to Brewdog to be more than just a, a brewery? That's a great question. Um, I think it is important but at the end of the day, we are a brewery and at our heart and soul, we make beer. And the two things that we care about most as a company is beer and people. We are always trying to focus on whether the priorities are to do with beer or whether they're just a distraction. So I think making sure that we have a purpose and a reason why we do everything is really important um, and making sure that we remain true to ourselves in terms of why we were here in the first place the fact that we have all of this kind of punk mentality and and that approach to things but ultimately we're a brewery and that is our our reason for existing in the first place big thanks to sarah for chatting to us we have a soft spot for the ballsiness of Brewdog. They do seem to cause some waves of controversy within the craft beer scene, but for us they're making quality beer available to more people, and that can't be a bad thing. At the beginning of this episode, we tasted a lovely noodle dish from Bone Daddy's in Bermondsey and tried to come up with an idea for a beer that would pair really well alongside it. A few weeks later, we reordered the dish and accompanied it with our brew to see how we'd done. <laughs> So we are on our final tasting and uh, in more exciting news, thanks to the people that use the code we made a beer at honestbrew.co.uk, we have managed to afford not one, not two, but three ramen dishes. So no more are we huddled around the singular item. Um, so the point of this exercise was to take this Tantanmen number three and brew a beer to accompany it. Here is your weaponry. Everyone has a spoon and also chopsticks for when spoons are too easy. So shall we go for a taste of the beer on its own? Then we'll add in the noodly soup and then we'll see how we've done as a pairing. It smells very nice. Mm. It smells very zesty and orangey. It does, yeah. You can smell the orange. Um, it smells like a nice kind of abbey ale. It's nice. It's quite boozy. You know when we made the um, oak-aged beer and I said it's not super viscous in that way that boozy booze sometimes mm-hmm. is, I think this feels quite thick and viscous. Yeah, there is a kind of, yeah, like a syrupy, kind of sweet, boozy flavour. But it's quite, the flavours are quite sort of light and bright. That works nicely with that. So let's, uh, I'm going to go for the spoon. You've gone for, you've gone for chopsticks. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to dig into the tofu first. I'm going to properly soak it in the broth and hopefully get as much flavour as pos with some texture. Yeah, if nothing else comes out of this, I can tell you that I've had a form of tofu that I don't despise. I think deep fat frying it probably is the way forward, really. 
it's a miracle really that tofu is really nice though. yeah this yeah. tofu is really nice it is no this is great so uh, when we tried the ramen the first time it was really spicy and incredibly rich that like umami mushroom richness really came through but this beer's cutting right through it yeah it's really nice it works really well do you prefer the ramen noodles on their own or do you prefer the ramen noodles when complemented with this lovely beer that we've made of course with the beer it's so much nicer with the beer I don't know why Bone Daddy sell it by itself it's ridiculous (laughs) (laughs) so let's finish on the all important question and the final time it will be asked of this season would you serve this beer in new brew bearing in mind that we brewed it specifically to accompany the Tantamen number three from Bone Daddy's next door with the intention of it being a beautiful food and beer pairing absolutely yes yes no i think this this will go on tap and i would urge everybody who drinks it to also try the noodles with it as well we're not even getting funded by bone daddies we're just recommending people go there and it's fine i know (laughs) also if anyone from bone daddies is listening we happily would take three more dishes for free Mm Bone daddies. Bone daddies, bone daddies. Bone daddies, bone daddies. Bone daddies. Bone daddies. <laughs> Brilliant. If we could get one bowl of noodles per bone daddies mention, that would probably yeah. go down quite We're well. We're quite good at sharing as well, so we'll take one. <laughs> we'll take one spoon. We'll pass it around. <laughs> Sweet. Right. Let's cheers to our final brew, and it was a success. Cheers. Cheers, all. So there we go. Our final beer, and we're really proud of it. It works really nicely as a standalone beer, but when paired with the noodles, it really does help to enhance the flavours and soften out the spice. If you'd like to give our noodle beer a go, head over to Ubrey Bermondsey and you'll find it on tap this coming weekend. Why not pop next door and grab a Bone Daddy's to accompany it too? While we're talking about Ubrew, don't forget that We Made a Beer podcast listeners can get 20% off brew courses using the code WMAB20, which stands for We Made a Beer 20. So, there you go. Season two of We Made a Beer is over. We've had such a brilliant time putting this podcast together. We've learnt so much about the beer industry and met just a few of its most wonderful people. With the help of Tash, we're understanding so much more about how to brew better beer. And the beers we've tasted over the past year have totally opened our minds and inspired us to trawl the world for new and exciting things to drink. If you liked We Made a Beer, subscribe to our show on your podcast app and whenever we do something new, you'll be the first to know. Before we go, here's one last reminder that we've partnered up with honestbrew.co.uk to help you get your hands on some of the beers mentioned in this podcast. If you're boggled by the sheer amount of beers available to buy, the We Made a Beer mixed case is a pretty good place to start. It contains a fantastic selection of the most exciting beers we've tried this season and features breweries like Wild Beer, Magic Rock, Thornbridge, Brewdog, Brooklyn and loads more. Plus, if you sign up using the offer code WEMADEABEER, you can get £10 off your first order. If you like this series, please do leave us a review and share us with your friends. Reviewing the series really helps us to build up our reputation and our reach. As always, if you want to get in touch, drop us a message. We're at We Made a Beer on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik The Wildest Party Never Told about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hi. 